This is Close Ups on Haber Media Podcast. Housing has become a problem for all ethnic groups. In fact, Massachusetts has become one of the most expensive places to not only buy a home, but to afford the cost of living. Reginald Nunley is president of the NAACP chapter in the Blue Hills. With over 27 years experience in economic development, as well as having served in various public service roles, what does Reg think of the current housing market? What resources are available for those looking to buy their first home? And how does cost affect one's ability to choose where they wish to live? Hello, and welcome to another edition of Close Ups. I'm your host, Joe Collymore, and my guest today is Reginald Nunnally, the new president of the Blue Hills NAACP. But before I introduce Reg, let me give you a quick recap of who he is and what he brings to our interview. He's got over 27 years experience in business development. He has served in former Governor uh, Duval Patrick's administration as executive director uh, for the Supplier Diversity Office for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. He also served on Mayor Menino's cabinet as executive director for Boston's Enhanced Enterprise Community for the City. He has worked with the Black Ministerial Alliance. He has received numerous accolades for his work in small business advocacy and, and uh, small and minority business assistance. Um, he resides on several boards, including the BRA's Boston's Local Development Corporation Loan Program, as well as the New England Area Conference of the NAACP, and he also serves on the Gaming Commission's Vendor Advisory Board. He's married with two children and a granddaughter. Welcome, Veg. Thank you, Joe. Let's talk about affordable housing. But before we do, could you just sort of give our listeners sort of an overview of the NAACP and more specifically this new chapter in the Blue Hills? Oh, would love to. And thank you for asking. Uh, the Blue Hills uh, NAACP branch, which is, again, five towns uh, just south of Boston. And those towns are? Milton, Canton, Randolph, Stoughton, and Sharon, uh, and they comprise uh, approximately 150,000 uh, people with probably around 30,000 or 20 percent people of uh, color. Uh, and it all got started, you know, in 2015, I, I retired uh, from government and I was approached by uh, Juan Cofield, and he's the president of the New England uh, Conference, and he asked me if I would uh, help create uh, another branch uh, because he had been getting inquiries, particularly from businesses, about what was the NAACP doing or what was it that the NAACP could do to help them move forward in their businesses. Uh, he reached out to me and we began to start the process of recruiting uh, the requirements for establishing a branch, uh, which was you had to have 100 uh, paid members uh, initially, uh, and then you had to appeal to the uh, national organization, of which we did. Uh, so in 2016, we did the recruitment, 
In February, we had it planned to coincide with the Black History Month. We made our official application. Uh, in April, we were uh, unanimously approved by the National NAACP Board of Directors. Uh, subsequent to that, we actually held a, uh, a general membership in which we elected uh, an executive board. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be elected president of uh, that board in uh, May of uh, 2018. Uh, we're at this point now where we're trying to put together a strategic plan uh, and raise some funds uh, to actually become operational. Uh, and we're looking at really uh, 2019 to really begin to advocate and implement some of the programs that we're, we're looking to uh, uh, implement. And one of the things that we're really focusing on as a branch is really uh, economic development and housing. And housing. Before we talk about housing, because I'd like to go into a discussion about affordable housing. But before we do that, just to dispel a couple of myths about the NAACP. Is it an organization that's exclusive in its membership just to people of color? Can people of European descent, white folk, join this organization? Anyone can join this organization. As a matter of fact, uh, we have a number of white folks that mm -hmm. actually uh, our members, as a matter of fact, the town manager of Randolph, who's, who's white, is a member of the organization. Uh, and throughout the entire system, uh, the entire system has uh, 2,200 branches uh, with over 300,000 members. Uh, and there are a number of uh, presidents that are actually uh, are white and uh, oversee a branch. There are some branches that are completely white. So no, let's dispel that myth right away. Uh, anyone can join. Uh, we, we welcome everybody. Uh, and I particularly looking to grow the Blue Hills uh, branch uh, to include as many people as possible. Turning to housing, any modern day report will show that in Massachusetts is one of the most expensive places to live in the country. In the top five, I understand. And especially near our metropolitan areas like Boston, for example. Uh, some might accredit that to such accoutrements as state-of-the-art medical facilities. Some of the world's most renowned educational institutions, as you know, are right here. Plus our historic landmarks are all within walking distance of uh, the inner city. Uh, but what makes affordable housing especially difficult for minorities in our day and age in Massachusetts? What, what do you say to that? Well, w when we're talking about affordable housing uh, for, for minorities, I like to really talk about just affordable housing in general, uh, mm -hmm. because affordable housing is just not for people of color. Uh, there is uh, two Bostons emerging now, uh, one for the very high income and those that are in the moderate to, to, to low income. Uh, and right now, the focus, when you say affordable housing, folks immediately think about uh, blacks and Hispanics, uh, when in effect uh, it impacts white people as well. Uh, but right now, Boston is a majority minority city. It's about 55%. Uh, it's, uh, as you said, it's a walking city. Uh, so you can get around uh, Boston pretty good. The transportation, public transportation is pretty good. Uh, traffic is a bear. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, so the closer that you live, to downtown Boston, the more expensive it's going to be. Uh, 
the south end of Boston at one point uh, was where, you know, f folks did not want to be. Uh, high crime, the, the, the amenities were, were very difficult to, to, to reach, no jobs, uh, and it was basically a place for uh, the homeless were put or the very poor were put. Uh, as Boston began to really redefine itself, South End properties became desirable. Uh, the, the housing uh, expenses went up. And poor people of all colors were displaced and moved further into Roxbury. As those areas began to become saturated, uh, and there was no more housing, then it became the next step. So most people in Boston will, will understand that, you know, the Highland Park area, Fort Hill, uh, is now one of those areas that are very expensive. And it's becoming more and more difficult for uh, the city and the state to be able to produce enough what I call affordable housing. What is interesting is that in America, Housing is one of the ways that people create some wealth. In this case, affordable housing, it is a, a way to limit the amount of wealth that you can actually have. So, so when I'm looking at, that? well, if, if, if you get the opportunity to purchase affordable housing unit through the city of Boston, uh, or one of the other nonprofit organizations that are actually doing this, you know, there are a number of covenants that are put on the property. So in some cases, you can't sell the property to who you'd like. You can't sell it for the price that you would like to sell it for because there are limits that are put on it. So many people that, that, that buy these properties, they're very excited and happy to have a home of their own that they can call their own, right? But when they get into reading the fine print, five, six, 10 years, and in some cases, 99 years, they have to ask for permission to refinance uh, to send their kids off to school, uh, to refinance, to open up a business. You know, you have to ask for uh, permission to do that. And you have to get the okay from whatever that entity was. So when we're really talking about affordable housing and what does that really mean, uh, and who's really accessing it, uh, it is really those, those types of questions that have to be redefined because when this was first enacted, downtown Boston, wasn't as popular as it is today. Now it's not unheard of for the million dollar price tag to go on a, a one or a two bedroom uh, a condo in the downtown area. And as those prices rise there, the prices rise throughout the city. So, so places, places that, that normally were kind of, you know, set aside for low income people, right, all of a sudden, uh, they're being highly sought after. You know, it is very difficult to be able to produce enough affordable housing for the people that actually need it in the city. I've seen uh, some numbers uh, of the various neighborhoods, if you will, the sections of Boston, Jamaica Plain, um, the South End, East Boston, uh, the North End, South Boston, where the average price of a one-bedroom rental is close to $2,000 a month. Oh, easily. easily. That's the average. Oh, that's easily. Uh, a one-bedroom. A one-bedroom, 
Uh, two bedrooms are going for much higher than that. Uh, and the closer you get to the center of the city, the higher the mm -hmm. rent. Uh, places like Brighton, uh, where there's a, a, a huge student population, uh, they're getting charged enormous amounts of rents uh, because their parents uh, are willing to, to pay to, to have their, their children that are going to school housed. And they're able to afford these prices because they usually have two, three roommates. Uh, and in some cases, it's either equal or less uh, to, to, to rent an apartment. Would you go so far as to say that uh, there is discrimination still existing in uh, home realty or even the pricing of properties in, in our metro Boston area? Well, discrimination, you know, is relative. Uh, you know, before there was, there was redlining. Oh, yes. Uh, and there was, there was uh, neighborhoods that had packs that they wouldn't sell to uh, uh, people of color. I see what we what we see really now is is that the prices that are being offered are keeping people out of uh, the housing market. So where you could possibly afford a three hundred thousand dollar single family uh, building in any of these neighborhoods, you you start to find out that these buildings are now going for four hundred and fifty, five hundred thousand dollars. And under you know the routine banking rules, you, you generally have to come up with you know 20 percent. Not a lot of people sort of have 20 percent of 500 thousand dollars sitting in a bank ready to buy buy a home. So there has to be a number of resources that are out there that help people actually get into the, the housing market. And there are a number of resources that are out there. And what role does the NAACP, could they actually play in helping to um, uh, promote awareness of what those resources are? Well, right now, you know, the, the Blue Hills branch has a partnership with Wells Fargo. And most recently, they had what's called a lift uh, neighborhood program that provided individual uh, subsidies to uh, potential home buyers. Uh, to the tune of $20,000. So Wells Fargo would actually provide a $20,000 grant to an individual that wanted to buy a, a house in the Suffolk, uh, Suffolk and Norfolk uh, counties. You know, so that is clearly a, a help. Uh, and then with some of the other types of programs, you'd have to mirror those to not a 20% down, but a 3% down or a 5% down with uh, assistance from the, the Commonwealth with uh, closing costs. So there are a number of different types of programs that uh, folks that might be eligible, and it's usually for moderate to low income uh, folks, that need to be able to go through the, the classes, because you have to go through the classes, first time home buyer program. Uh, you have to uh, get your certificate to present to the banks that participate in those 3% or 5% down. Uh, the Mass Housing Finance Agency uh, also will provide you with some additional down payment assistance as well as closing costs. And of course the city of Boston, you know, if you're, in that, if you're looking in that city, you know, can also provide some services as well. Now are some of these resources that you've ticked off, are they in place as a result of the housing crisis? 
of 2007, 2008, and the predatory lending that was taking place back then? Well, I think uh, those programs actually existed during that time. Okay. I think that you see them a, a little more sophisticated today uh, in terms of ensuring that people really do understand uh, the, the consequences of making bad decisions. And folks are putting resources into trying to educate folks as to what those decisions might be up and down the line. Uh, you know, so they, they really do go over, uh, it's, uh, it's a two-day class uh, of which you have to take a test to, to get through. And if you get through, you get this certificate that I believe it's, it's good for, for two years. But it goes through the soup through nuts uh, in terms of what it takes to actually purchase a home, how to keep the home, and when you experience some difficulties, who you need to talk to as soon as possible and not, not at the last minute. Not at the last minute. Sure, yeah. sure. Now, with all of that, it's still difficult to actually find housing that can be affordable uh, because the prices are so high in, uh, in the area. When you talk about affordable housing, and there is there's a program called 40B, which is very controversial uh, in its structure, particularly as it hits our suburban communities. And now I'm not presenting you as an expert on 40B, but you're certainly aware of what's going on. And I'd love to just get your perspective on uh, what it's all about and, and perhaps how do we help dispel some of the myths associated with the 40B as it applies to not in my neighborhood. And you know what I'm talking about when I say not in my neighborhood. Yeah. 40B was an attempt to develop additional affordable housing in whatever towns uh, development was going to occur. Uh, so in the smaller towns, it's more difficult than in the larger towns because, uh, from what I understand, 10 or more units that are being developed, 10% of those units, you know, must be affordable, uh, which means that the, the, the price tag on those affordable units are going to be less than the market rate units. Many people look at that as saying, well, I've got to pay X amount and the person living right next door to me is only going to pay something less. Not only are they going to pay less for the unit itself, but they're going to pay less taxes as well because the unit is only worth a certain amount of money. The other, you know, which is, I think, a, a, a myth, is trying to attract people to the low-income people to purchase those buildings. So if you're in a 700, 800, a million dollar building, you may have a concept that says, I don't want people of color or I don't want low income people living next door to me. Right. And you know, I think it is myth. I don't think people need to be as fearful as that because the educational types of programs are really weeding out the folks that really don't understand about ownership. You know, ownership is much different from renting because a renter is always dependent on the owner to come and fix and make sure everything is taken care of. Uh, in affordable housing under the 40B, the same rules apply. You must take care of your unit. You must pay whatever the HOA fee is and you must 
abide by all of the condo rules that are there. You know, so I think that anyone that is, is, is contemplating uh, either buying into a, a building that has you know, 40B units or affordable housing units, they need not be fearful. I really want to dive a little deeper into the potential role that an organization like the NAACP could play as an advocate on behalf of affordable home ownership. What role do you see that being and how might it apply here more specifically in the South Shore? Well, people get in trouble mm -hmm. at various points, you know, in their life, you know, and one of the things that the NAACP can do in terms of an, being an advocate is try to get people that get into trouble to get them to the right resource. NAACP generally does not run programs, but they become familiar with the various programs to direct people so that they can get the right uh, assistance in enough time to hopefully sway the problem more in their favor, as opposed to waiting until the last minute when it's very little anyone can do. So the educational types of programs that we really do advocate for, and this would be for anybody, uh, and that is you know, going through those courses, you know, to understand what the breadth is in terms of purchasing a, a home. Uh, you know, the city of Boston has a program that says once you purchase the home, you need to go through another set of programs to understand what it takes to take care of the home. There are organizations there that when you start missing your payment because you got laid off from your job, you lost your job or something, you know, is that they're there to help you with your lending institution to say, hey, can you begin to put things on hold and explain those situations out? You know, as opposed to how we've all been brought up is to you handle your own problem. Well, some of these problems you can't handle by yourself and you need help. And I think that the, the NAACPs uh, around the country and here in Massachusetts can be very instrumental in understanding where those resources are and how to get people connected. You know, that makes a lot of good sense. Um, and when we talk about um, helping those citizens, it really comes down to consumer education, if yes. you think about it. Um, and so could you share some thoughts and ideas that you might have on helping with consumer education? Well, Joe, because many of us, particularly in our age bracket, we've either purchased our homes, or we're probably not looking to buy another one. Right. You know, I think with the limited resources that all of us really have, we're really looking at the millennials. You know, how do we educate the millennials? Because they're at a point now where they're probably going to make less money than their parents. And they still need a place to actually live. Uh, and they want to be in places that are hot, exciting, and that means they want to be in places that they can either get to real quick or they're in the heart of it. Uh, but I think that what we've got to be able to do is we've got to get to the millennials early and be able to explain to them, educate them as to what is really out there. Because first homes are not your McMansions. 
your first home is, is, is probably either a two-bedroom condo or a, or a three-bedroom uh, uh, single-family or a two-family to help bring in some income, and then you move forward to getting something that you really would dream to have. Uh, so being able to educate these millennials as to what are the steps, because millennials are pretty much impatient. They want it now, they gotta have it, and if they can't have it, they're gonna move on to something else. And I think that you know we've gotta be in a position to say, hey look, you gotta come up with a strategic plan. Do you see the NAACP working in collaboration with other uh, institutions and associations in advocating for affordable housing and in advocating for adequate housing for our both millennial and aging senior population? Or, or do you see the NAACP working um, somewhat unto itself in those areas? Well, I'll tell you, in the past, Joe, the, the NAACP, you know, generally worked by itself. Right. Uh, at the convention this year uh, in San Antonio, uh, they're creating a partnership with the Urban League, uh, and it's around economic development and workforce development, but I, I use that as the, the way of the future, is that we've got to partner with other entities that may specialize in some things, rely on the NAAC advocacy and support uh, because they have that brand, right? And bring in as many people underneath the tent as possible, you know, to be able to provide the services and resources that are sorely needed for all of us that are sort of aging in place uh, and those that are coming along that need various types of resources. One area of particular concern here on the South Shore is our rising cost of flood insurance, for example. Do you see perhaps where the NAACP can help join in league with other organizations that can advocate for affordable uh, insurance homeowners? Yes, I, I, I do believe, and particularly on the South Shore, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's very difficult uh, because we're getting these storms uh, and people's property are getting damaged. Uh, the price of flood insurance is just going crazy. Uh, one of the things that I think that you know, the, the NAACP needs to do is advocate to the government you know, in terms of trying to create a program that competes with the private insurance programs to help lower the cost that there needs to be sort of a, a conglomeration of, of uh, entities that really are coming together and saying, hey, look, we want to pay the right price. We just don't want to get overpriced, you know, which adds to the cost of owning a home. Uh, and there are a number of other fees that, that are associated with that. You know, so you're talking about flood insurance and today you're paying X and you know, next year you're paying 2x. And that's why it's so important that everybody goes through some type of a program that makes them aware. Because when you're buying a home and you're real close, you're so excited, you're ready to sign. I, I don't know very many people that will go to a closing and read all the documents. They're just signing away, and that's why it's important to have an attorney uh, with you to be able to say, that one's okay, but we need to talk about this. Well, I think that the NAACP can play a real key role in serving, let's say, as a conduit 
uh, for the potential homeowner, the existing homeowner, to be able to navigate and find the right resources to set them on that path for success. We'll be getting in contact with all the banks in the five towns and we'll be asking for them to join uh, and to contribute so that we can pretty much have a win-win situation. And what I mean by that is don't contribute to the NAACP just because you need to feel good about yourself. Contribute because we're going to help you do business. And when you talk about contribution, it's, we're talking more than just throwing some dollars in a pot. Yeah. They can bring technical assistance, they oh, can bring subject, subject matter yeah. expertise, they can volunteer staff to run Saturday workshops that's and right. the like. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. you, know, uh, you know, we know through the Community Reinvestment Act that generally speaking, they provide dollars. You know, the, the, the Blue Hills branch wants to be a little bit different. We want to be in a place where, you know, there's a bank that will say, hey, you know, we'll develop your website for you. You know, uh, we'll uh, contribute somebody to provide technical assistance on Saturdays for two hours a day. So, yeah, no, we want to partner with, uh, with the banks. And that was one of the things that when we made our application, we made it very well known that, you know, the Blue Hills area wants to focus on economic development. Uh, because we really do believe that uh, it is the millennials that, uh, that they, they need that education and we want to advocate for them. That's a great point. Well, Reg, I want to thank you very much for sitting with me today on our episode of Close Ups. And I want to thank our viewers for joining us. Until next time, this is Joe Collymore signing off. You were just listening to Close Ups on Harbor Media Podcast.